0: In today's episode of Smart Humans, we talk with Josh Luber, the founder of StockX and Fanatics Collectibles. He tells us about the advancements in trading cards for culture, his suggestions of how the collectibles industry continues to grow, and his surprise pick for investment and how Kim Kardashian fits in with that. Welcome to Smart Humans with Slava Rubin, Presented by Vincent.
1: In this alt-investing podcast, Slava talks to amazing minds about their investment journey
0: and finds out what it takes to make it in the markets. And now, here's your host and smart human, Slava Rubin. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Smart Humans. I'm very excited about today's guest. We have Josh Luber, who is the founder of both StockX and Fanatics Collectibles. He is well known in the collectible space and has been really pioneering the entire movement. Josh, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So we always start in the beginning, which is how did you even get into what you're doing and how did you start getting into alternatives?
1: Well, I'll tell you before we go there, start at the, at the, top, of the, um, at the top of the list. Smart Humans is a, uh, a pretty strong name for a show, I gotta say, uh, and um, I don't know, somewhat... I mean, you get anybody you want in the world to come on. It's smart humans, right? Who's not going to be like, yeah, I'm looking for for that. So that's was, that was good work. I was excited about that. Thank you. So, you know, in talking about, you know, investing in in alternative uh, asset investing, it's interesting to even, you know, you, uh, talk about it in the context of investing, because we all started as collectors and and many of us still are collectors. And we've seen in the last I mean, the last five years um, significantly, but uh, but slowly over time, of uh, more people coming in on on just the investment side. But where there was always this question, right? Um, and it used to be a negative divide. It used to be the the investing versus collecting, or you know, in the sneaker world, it was like the sneakerheads versus flippers, what they used to call. It. But the reality is, is that like everybody is on some a uh, part of that spectrum because you can't make any reasonable purchase decision for products that are supply and demand driven products that um, have market value and have market values that change without thinking about that as an investment, even if you're just a quote collective. So for me, like the real start was, I don't know, 1983, the first time I, I got, you know, a Milt Wilcox 1983 tops, which is the first, you know, first car that I ever got. That I got swindled in that deal because I didn't have any cards. So I had to trade 12 bags of Doritos to this kid at camp for, for the, for the Mill Wilcox 83 tops, who I thought was like a speedy outfielder. Turns out he was a pitcher. Um, so, you know, this is the, the, this is the dichotomy in, in a, in a shell and it, it grows in there. But I will say, and we can expand more on either side as you want. I reached a point in my life after a couple of years at StockX and StockX had reached a certain size and and level of success where you start to have uh enough money to make investments that um can be a little bit risky right the first couple of dollars that you make go all into super conservative things into you know 401k's and IRAs and and to, so it's it's that second you know hit of money that you can then say oh you know what, I can put this somewhere else And so for me that happened, you know, at a at a higher clip, um, you know, a couple years into stock X. And the first things that I started buying at that time um were uh is was was coincided with me getting back into trading cards. So it was very much driven by trade.
0: What year is that? A couple years into stock X?
1: So for me it was uh it was like end of 2018. End of twenty eighteen is when I got back into trading cards um on the collecting side and then very quickly started to see what was going to happen in the industry from an investment side um and then basically the the growth of the market that happened over the last uh over the last five years and so um you know the and i'll tell you what and because you know we we all love cards this single investment decision and we'll call it investment decision because the first time that i ever decided to go really long uh, on a card on a player was um the summer of 2019 And, you know, over the last, over the previous eight months, I've been buying a little bit here and there, buying some, some sort of call it a a blue chip, you know, cards, Jordans and LeBrons and Kobe's and stuff like that. And uh, the summer of 2019, uh, it was the, it was uh, the fourth week of the NFL season. Mahomes had run off four straight games and was looking like, you know, he'd gone from star to, to, you know, Hall of Famer and Mahomes cards were going through the roof. Like abs- and I remember exactly where I was. I was actually in a cab in Las Vegas, in an Uber in Las Vegas, on the way to the Beckett Industry Summit, talking to people about Mahomes' market and how much it was. I mean, it was you know, it was like five, six, seven x, you know, just in those four weeks as he just blew up. And so I had this conversation with the people in the Uber, and I said, "Well, who could do that in the NBA? Who's got the Who's got a, a shot at possibly going from star?" To superstar or superstar to Hall of Famer, and this was the summer after Luca's rookie year, and um, and Luca was overpriced at the time, or at least we thought Luca was overpriced at the time. Uh, P- Prison PSA tens were seventy dollars compared to like you know Trey Young was like twenty bucks, um, and so it felt like you know the the gains were built in, and um, and I decided that I was going to go long on Luca. I decided that he had a shot to do what Mahomes was doing, and. I bought a ton of Luca Prism color for the last month of the summer. And there was a card show in Chantilly, Virginia, which is a uh, regular card show that people are familiar with. And uh, it was a la- it was right, right at the end of the summer before the NBA season started. And I bought every single Luca Prism color in the entire building. And, um, and I was buying them all on eBay. And, and I was just going, I was like, uh, this was like taking a shot at it. And then, holy crap. Right, Luca comes out his sophomore year and in 10 games goes from rookie of the year to, oh my God, this guy's a Hall of Famer. And I'm still making money off of that investment. I'm still selling off those cards. And and that has basically funded my entire collection over the past three years of how much money I made on that investment. Because look, I got super lucky. I got unbelievably lucky. It wasn't meant to be a short term investment, it wasn't meant to be any of that. But it just absolutely blew up. And and so if you look at it just as a pure investment, like that's the, you know, investing in whatever Uber or, or you know, uh, Apple or something and, and having a, an absolute you know, huge come up. So um, anyway,
0: that's a, that's an awesome story. But let's just back up to connect the dots more between Milt Wilcox and the Luca. That's right. So um, what year do you uh, start StockX?
1: We uh, launched StockX in February of 2016. And started working on on the year before in 2015.
0: So that's a, a sneaker marketplace, um, and and becomes other things as well. What's the origin of why why you start that? Yeah, I
1: mean, look, when I was 10, the only two things I, I cared about in the world were, were sneakers and baseball cards, and. Um, you know i I wish that I had collected cards throughout, but um you know you go uh, same story as everybody, right I left all my cards in my parents' basement for the last twenty years, but I collected sneakers you know through the whole time and so I'm a startup guy i've I've started to run three or four other other companies before stockx, and none of them had anything to do with sneakers none of them had were in any way in you know in a in a collectibles or or passion uh, industry but you know, sort of one thing leads to another, and I have the opportunity to, um, uh, to basically work on a, a project that um, was a sneaker price guide, and that was on the side while I was wor- working a day job at IBM, and that became StockX, and so it was very much a natural evolution of personal passions with you know different business. You know, I was doing a lot of data work at IBM. So, you know, it's one of these things where you know, if you're a, a startup guy and you are working corporate jobs, you're always doing side projects. You're always doing side hustles. You're always, you know, messing around, and it's all iterative, right? There's never anything that's like, "This is exactly what I'm going to do and go do it." It's, I'm going to work on this, and it becomes that, and becomes that. And StockX was was no different. It started as a sneaker price guide, kind of like the you know the old Beckett uh, you know magazines, or you know, some similar to Car Latter today. Um, and it evolved into a, a
0: marketplace. What were some of the other entrepreneurial hustles before StockX hit?
1: Well, the you know the first job for all of us was you know selling uh, you know candy and blow pops in um in in elementary school and in middle school. Um, I, uh, I had a great hustle in in fifth and sixth grade because I lived right uh, behind uh, from a, a grocery store, so I used to walk, hop over the fence behind my backyard. And go to the grocery store, and you could buy four packs of bubble for a dollar. And in sixth grade, uh, they went for a quarter a piece or a dollar for a pack of five. So I could turn one dollar into five dollars very easily. So it was a great, uh, it was a great little side hustle. But um, the first real business uh, that I ever started was um, uh, it was a company that was called uh, well, it was called Tech Experts. And this was Geek Squad before Geek Squad, where we would go into people's homes, fix their computers, set up wireless networks. This was two thousand and one, so I went to Emory. I was in Atlanta for fifteen years and um, and we would hire uh, Georgia Tech grad students to be the technicians and and my business was to go out and and get the customers and and manage the the scheduling of the technicians to go to people's houses. So it was a consulting business. it was run out of my bedroom you know i probably worked more than i ever worked and and made basically nothing but that was the like oh i i get what being an entrepreneur is about i get what running a business is about and this is what i want to do and um i ended up selling that business to my partner in the business when i went back to grad school uh it was nothing major it was a couple bucks um but it was the um, it was the experience that i knew that i wanted to uh, to be an entrepreneur so
0: and along the time with tech experts, or you're at IBM, are you uh, investing only into the public markets, or you're not really investing at all? Or
1: oh yeah, yeah, I mean, barely investing at all, right? This is the like, you know, you know, when I had corporate jobs in between, you know, it's like, what money can you put into 401k? Uh, you know, you have my father, you know, saying, you know, pull aside, you know, two grand to put into an IRA, or I mean, like, you know, very, very um, uh, nominal you know, probably, uh, probably more than than a lot of people in their first couple of jobs, but still, you know, basically almost
0: nothing. Right. And fast forward now, you know, you have success. How do you think about your personal investing? Uh, How do you think about diversifying what you invest into? How much of it is, you know, you know, people talk about the 6040 traditional old school mix, right? 60 public markets, 40% bonds, I imagine that's not you, that's not me. So what's kind of like your mix?
1: Yeah, well, look, I'm in a you know very unique situation in that the overall majority of my net worth is in StockX equity and Fnax Collectibles equity, neither of which are liquid. Neither of those companies are public. Um, you know, StockX had, had talked about going public, and, and maybe when the market change, uh, maybe it will. And and who knows how Fnax Collectibles will will evolve. So because of that, outside of um, you know cards and you know, a couple of small art pieces and a couple other things, most of my investment is into is very, you know, traditional safe long-term you know, I had built a a small portfolio with my financial advisor that was like, Hey, if stock X and finance will go away, what happens? How do you, you know, survive? And then, you know, I probably over indexed into cards just because i you know, love it so much. And, and, I had this great kickstart with the with the Luca deal to be able to do that. So, uh, you know, mine is probably an example of what not to do of having you know probably more money in cards than maybe than anything, and then a whole lot of you know bonds and super long term stuff, and and then uh, and then all the you know very uh, illiquid that. And I've also and I'll, I'll say as well, I've also put after I left StockX. I started to invest in startups as well. I haven't been putting money into other people's funds, but there's about a half a dozen of different entrepreneurs who I know and either, you know, first time entrepreneurs that I really like and wanted to help and sort of came in on that tip or other people that, that, you know, I kind of just wanted to support. And, um, and that's just more of a a function of, you know, who I am and, and the people, those people. Um, so we'll see, but I think at some point in the future, I'll have to answer that question in a more traditional way as we figure out what to do and to to move, you know, percentages out of StockX and Finance collectibles into other stuff.
0: So like for example, the wall behind you, is that to you just fun or are those investments behind you?
1: No, I mean you can't see most of it. So it goes all right. And this is all just toys in this room. There's a whole nother room with sneakers, there's a whole nother room with trading cards. Trading cards are all investments. Sneakers are none sneakers are investments. Sneakers are not good long-term investments. No matter how well you keep them in, in condition, they're still just rubber and leather. glue. They will deteriorate. So those are not investments. Most of the stuff on the wall, I would say is all just fun. There's definitely stuff that's valuable in the nature of toys is that they're, um, and you know, some of these are art toys down here. There's some Daniel Arsham pieces and Murakami pieces that are, that are, um, more valuable. Um, but I don't have any plans to, to, to flip them. There's a couple art pieces in the house. I have an original Murakami, uh, a couple others. Again, I don't look at them today as as investments because they're all um, you know, I'm enjoying them in the house, but I guess at some point I start buying more art and get to the point that maybe, you know, I don't know, maybe they get sold. So.
0: It's interesting that you say sneakers are not investments. Obviously with your StockX background, you know, I'm actually a personal early investor into GO and then we actually had one of the people who sold uh the most expensive sneaker I believe, the 1.8 Yeezys. So um, why do you say that they're not investments? Are you saying that most of the market, like 98% of the market's not an investment? Or are you literally saying 100%? Well, look, I would take even any sneaker that you would
1: pay that much money for and that you would hold as a potential to invest and sell later is is a memorabilia. It's, it's it, you know, Michael Jordan's game one shoe from, you know, the NBA finals, right? That is memorabilia. That's an investment. So Sure. Any sneaker that's not, um, any sneaker that, that is um, that is memorabilia, any sneaker like Jordan's, you know, uh, finals game worn shoe, that's memorabilia. It, that's not a, a sneaker, right? Anything that's a, a, you know, a sneaker that has value because of some historical significance, you you kind of move it out of that. But sneakers are still just rubber and leather and glue. So no matter how well you preserve it, it, it will deteriorate. So it's just it, it's not a great long term investment, right? If you want to hold it for a couple years,
0: because of the ter- because of the deterioration.
1: Yeah, because of the deterioration, right? So you have to figure out a way, and there are people working on. There's a there's a company right now that's trying to create like a grading company for sneakers, and you know I've told them, look, if you can figure out how that case that you put it in also preserves the sneakers, right? Well, there's there may be something there, but the flip side of that is we like to wear our sneakers. Right. Even like my most valuable sneakers, I want to be able to wear them, even if I maybe don't wear them or or whatever. So I don't know. There's this there's this weird thing. I there's no sneakers that I have that I'm I'm holding specifically as an investment. But, you know, I have, you know, Nike Yeezys. If somebody someday is like, hey, you know, I give you five X what you paid for them. Sure.
0: Yeah. As part of um, so at Vincent, the company that I'm with, you know, we also have a closed end fund where we bringing a lot of collectibles investments amongst other alternatives. And we actually did invest in some memorabilia sneakers, which are some of the original Michael Jordan, TYPS uh, sneakers that were ever made. And they are dual SIG. So you get me a little nervous about the deterioration, but we did have to think about that. And they were beautiful yeah. um, when we bought them, even though it's already you know almost 40 years later. But that's super interesting. What do you think about uh, crypto? Well, obviously we're in an interesting time right now. Um
1: having had the the last year and a half that we had in it, I'm definitely still long i definitely still think because you know the underlying um evolution of how we use crypto as a society and web three and everything else it's inevitable it's happening like anybody that you know denies it is um is is just wrong um obviously you know massively volatile and and um you know trying to pick winners is is not the easiest thing so um yeah so I, I you know i'm long i do have um a fair amount of crypto investments between some coins and some nfts um so i guess from a percentage standpoint um it, it's um outside of StockX and, and infinites uh collectibles it's um it's it's relatively decent um but i i think that you know anyone investing there just needs to understand one the long-term nature of it and, and two the extremely volatile like I mean, look what happened, right? Look, look, anyone who's investing in Bitcoin at, you know, fifty-five, sixty thousand dollars, right?
0: And then you have a really unique perspective for this next question. What's your point of view on NFTs? So
1: let's just like we'll take trading cards for a second. So there are digital trading cards. Some of those digital trading cards do take the form of NFTs, um, but as an industry, we haven't scratched the surface on how to truly create. NFT trading cards, or even digital trading cards, that integrate with the physical, that um, you know have a uh, like an integrated, standardized, and and you know completest view of, of how they should interact with the rest of that industry. I'm going to assume, and, and I don't have the same uh, expertise in, in other uh, industries, that the same thing is happening as NFTs start to. Um, to permeate those other industries as well, where they may become useful art, photography, um, you know, and then you know the functional aspects of it as well. So I am long on NFTs. I am um, very bullish that um, there will be very valuable NFTs. But you know, I think we all saw towards the end, right before the crash, that a lot of the the um, uh, I guess consciousness was moving towards understanding the difference between utility and just. Um, you know, pure, um, yeah, or, or just, you know, pure uh, digital asset, right? There's, and, um, and so that for for that reason, right, I, I think we'll see values reflect that. Um, I don't know, like, if you get to Ready Player One, and you get to a real, you know, metaverse that we're all there, and you have actual digital goods that become so important to somebody then, then maybe, um, and obviously, Ready Player One's amazing. And, and, you know, we all can't wait for that. Uh, that future. But, um, but yeah, you know, I I think we'll just see an evolution of of utility as companies figure out the best way to integrate it in. But there's no company that makes any commercial goods um, today, that isn't thinking about how they use NFTs and how they use digital goods moving forward. Today, are you seeking out any NFT investments? Um, I have been watching the market uh, carefully since the crash, and to try to figure out um, there's a couple things I've doubled down on a little bit as as prices have fallen down, um, but not dissimilar to sort of my startup investing. The NFT projects that I've invested in um, outside of like, you know, I have some Bitcoin, I have some Ethereum, um, are primarily people that I know and and people that I, I believe in them and their brand and their, you know, um, and they're like, you know, like be friends. Right. Like that's a that's an easy one. Like I'm more than happy to bet on Gary and, and what he's going to uh, do with that. Um, so, so yeah, um, you know, and I, I'm still watching it, but, you know, in general, uh, again, back to sort of the, the overall premise of my, um, state of, uh, investing because so much of my wealth is tied up in, in illiquid, uh, you know, stock X, collectibles. It's all relatively small compared to what, um, I might be doing if it was a slightly different situation.
0: And how about some of the more yield oriented things like real estate or private credit? Do you get into that stuff?
1: No, I mean... No I you know, I own my house. that's about it,
0: yeah, and then what do you think of today's market? you know you've mentioned you know the crypto crash obviously the the luca prices have come down for some of the cards, cards in general for contemporary has come down, you know the stock market has some pain. What's Josh Luber's point of view today on the economy, the market, and take it wherever you like? yeah, I mean for me the the thing that is most
1: um Relevant, the things most pertinent um, is when I look at the startup valuations and the the companies and the, the relevant companies for that. We just talk about um, you know Stock as um, being obviously uh, because of me, but you know some of the companies in the space have already gone public, like Farfetch and the Real Real, um, and some haven't. There's been private transactions, and um, so I listen to you know a couple different podcasts. And um, and the people that I talk to in the space, I'm really uh, my, like I said the thing that I focus most is is where we think startup valuations are going and access to capital. Particularly now that you know, I left Fanatics Collectibles, so I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do next. I have a couple ideas, although I haven't locked in for sure. But at some point, I'll probably need to raise money again. Um, you know how that impact again? You know valuations and access to capital and you know all of that. How it impacts when stockx might go public, how it impacts when Fanatics might go public? I mean those are the things that are most relevant you know to me personally, and then you know, for better or for worse, i you know I think I've outsourced a lot of looking at the rest of the market to my financial advisor who I've been with for a long time now and who I really like um and so yeah, that's from a personal standpoint
0: so yes, yeah, so you just mentioned that you left uh Fnatic's collectibles. I mean, I think that's pretty fresh news, right um yeah in the last little while so can you share like why did you leave you know um how did that evolve and obviously the next question will be what are you thinking about next but first let's focus on you know because it's so interesting that you joined fanatics helped to bring forward zero cool which is you know the idea of moving cards beyond just sports cards and um yeah take it away
1: well you know look um fanatics collectibles uh was only formed uh towards the end of last year um but I've been working on trading cards and I've been working on a trading card brand for culture since uh early 2019 um at StockX where I sort of had the first idea for this I left StockX in September of 20 to specifically do what we did to both create a trading card brand for culture and to go after the licenses to try to figure out if we could take control of of the primary market and evolve the primary market. Um, I sat down with Ruben for the first time in November of twenty, and really laid out the plan for what I thought could be done. And you know, as much as it was sort of my idea and my vision for how to do it and, and why, um, he's maybe the only person in the world that could have actually pulled that off from a, the acquisition of the licenses. And so, you know, I'll take point one percent credit, and give him ninety nine point nine percent for. Fanatics and the relationships and everything else to actually acquire the licenses, but we spent all of 21 very quietly working on all of this, working to acquire the licenses to build Zero Cool, to build the team, um, and to uh, build the company. We become fanatics collectibles, such that when January one of 22 came around, we could acquire Tops and, and continue on. So for a lot of people, it feels like you know we've only been doing this for a minute, but I've actually been working on this business in in some form since since january of 19 um and as you know most entrepreneurs and most startups all right it looks like you know overnight success 10 years in the making right it looks like all you see is this but you don't see all the stuff below the fold um and so we've been doing it for a while um and i'm a startup guy and and this company had a 10 billion dollar valuation on the day that we started uh it'll probably um have a, a a bigger uh a bigger number at some point soon as well and so it's just the evolution of, of, of big companies. We took five companies here and smashed them together between Fanatics, Fanatics Collectibles, Zero Cool, Tops, and Candy Digital. Um, and I'm a startup guy. Like I need to go back to, to that side of it. So I've been talking to Ruben for a while to figure out the right way to, to manage that transition because I'm also still a sh- big shareholder of Fanatics Collectibles and still a big collector. And I still very much believe in, in the future of this industry. So we worked out a deal. I'm staying on the board. I'll still be an advisor to to him and and to Mike Mahan, who's the CEO, if they ever if they ever need to to talk and be part of that. Um, but you know, I get to leave all the day to day stuff and that that's fine. And um I frankly, it's been a pretty great, you know, week and a half since then. I've watched a lot of TV. V. I don't know if you've seen the boys on Amazon, but I'm just finished season one, so
0: Nice. And maybe not everybody understands what trading cards for culture means. So can you just explain that a little bit more and give like a case study of kind of what you brought to market with Cool? So look, I mean, trading cards have primarily been uh, sports focused for,
1: well, since you know, the late 1800s. And there have been trading cards for non-sports over the years, whether it's been traditional IP like TV and movies. In the 60s and 70s, there was a whole bunch of different Um, rock star and and movie star cards, Jimi Hendrix, Led Zeppelin, um, Bob Marley. um, And, um, and, you know, there's some interesting stuff there. But um, there's never really been a consistent brand that is focused just on the non-sport and culture market, because it's not just the traditional IP. And it's not just the big names, um, like, you know, the biggest musicians and movie stars in the world. But um, if you think of the evolution of sports trading cards into the fact that we now have, you know, F1 and you have um, uh, UEFA and you have, you know, uh, the Jap- Japanese baseball league and, you know, the, it goes to, you know, into minor leagues and college and everything else. Um, the point is, and in, in very much like the promise of the internet and the long tail of the internet is that there's cards for everybody and every sport you could possibly want to collect, every sport that you're possibly a fan of, there's trading cards there. So we should be able to do the same thing. For non-sports so whether we have trading cards for musicians and actors or you know entrepreneurs or business people or politicians or artists or fashion designers or you know dentists well like the rapper cards are going to be way more valuable than the dentist card but like who knows maybe you know, there's actually a, a famous uh trading card set of rabbis um from and i i i, I should really know that the, the uh my jewish heritage uh will be questioned here i, I forget the the year of it but anyway Again, trading cards are historical records, usually of uh, people or um, or IP. And so there's no reason there shouldn't be trading cards of all these other people that matter on our site, because those people, whether it's, you know, uh, Kanye or, or George Clooney or, or Leonardo DiCaprio, or whomever, they're as important and as iconic as any athlete ever. And so that was the idea to create a real brand specifically focused on that. Um, we launched Zero cool in March of, uh, March of this year, uh, right. Yeah. March of 22. And, um, with, uh, the first set was with, um, friends with Gary Vaynerchuk's NFT project, again, brand, right. We took the, the characters that were on, um, v friends NFTs and put them on trading cards. The second set was more traditional. It was with uh, the movie franchise Jackass. So Johnny Knoxville, Steve, that, um, entire franchise. Has a ton of high-profile celebrity cameos over the years that have been in those sets: Tony Hawk and Jalen Ramsey and um, uh, Machine Gun Kelly and, and Tyler the Creator, et cetera. Um, and um, and then at the National, we announced the next couple sets that are coming, which are Stranger Things, Dune, and Clerks Three. More traditional IP, but again, Stranger Things as important as you know relevant of um, you know brand and, and content as baseball, basketball, football, or anything else. And so that's the idea is that Zero Cool can help to grow the market as a whole by making trading cards for people who maybe don't care as much about sports.
0: So you mentioned, thank you for those examples. You mentioned that, you know, this is not overnight. This is like three years in the making, if not closer to four. So now that you've had this much time behind you and seeing how the market's receiving is seeing like the pros and cons of navigating all this, uh, is your point of view equal to the way it was when you first had the idea? Are you more bullish today? than you were in the beginning of 19? Or are you less bullish than the beginning of 19? Oh, I'm, I'm way more bullish. So in 19, we tried to create a
1: trading card set at StockX with Upper Deck. Um, and it was 100 high profile people um, in the sneaker, streetwear, fashion world. Most of the people were people that we knew or had access to. Um, and it was really just a one-off project. It was what spawned the, the, the actual brand. Um, but now to have Zero Cool as one of the flagship brands as part of Fanatics Collectibles next to Tops. And eventually, Fanatics Collectibles will make basketball and football cards as well. And so we kind of look at it as four sports baseball, basketball, football, culture. And, you know, I think it's hard to deny the the impact of all the non athletes have on the world. I mean, um, I mean, just look at Ruben's White Party, <laughs> the people that show up there. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm more bullish on it. The, the feedback that we've got, the anecdotal feedback from the people that collected the V friends, the Jackass set, let alone the numbers and the fact that some of the V friends boxes, you know, were selling for five, six X, you know, what they sold for when we released them, the anecdotal feedback has been phenomenal, right? Because if you hit those people over the head with the thing that they actually care about, it's, you know you can maybe convince drake to be a basketball card collecting fan but if i make trading cards of rappers and have him in it and all his friends it's way more likely that he cares about trading cards if you have trading cards of and so that's really the key it's both on the consumer side to make products that are directly in line with what the consumers want but also to truly make trading cards part of culture you make trading cards and involve those people in the process right when nike first started having non athletes do collaborations with them. Right. And having, I mean, Travis Scott is probably the the most high profile Nike collaborator today. Right. There was a time where Nike never had non athletes do collaborations with them at all. But at some point, you know, they realize how much value there is in, in tapping into the culture that Travis Scott drives.
0: You mentioned that, you know, you're looking for your next chapter for something more entrepreneurial, probably smaller. Um, you know, you haven't figured it out yet. Um, what are some of the ideas or what are some of the, let's call it, areas that you're looking at? So, you know, the two skills that that I think I've developed the best
1: um that I want to explore. Um, one is really understanding um how supply and demand impacts um consumer goods. And so there's a lot of different ways that can go. Um, but you know, if you just think about a lot of the products that are sold on StockX or, or trading cards. They're products that aren't um the products that that there is no retail price for it they're all they're all products that have a market price, and that market price is a function of supply and demand supply we know demand is an amorphous number, and so cracking that code i mean that's that's the holy grail of all of this and so I think there's some work to still be done in terms of creating products and or um, businesses that go down that path, become more efficient and uh in in the in the way that you bring buyers and sellers together for that. So, so there's a whole path down that side. The other part is um is really team building. You know, I, I think that I've gotten a lot better at um at creating a a culture um that is fun to work at, that um, you know, we have a place. I mean, there's so much we all grew up in a time where work was, it was just different. Right. And, uh, you know, and, and I don't want to go for too far down this path, but I want to be able to, to, to build a team, um, and create the culture that I want to, um, that I want to run. And that only works at a relatively small scale. And I don't know what that number is. It doesn't mean that it's, it couldn't be a couple hundred. It doesn't even mean it could be a couple thousand, but I know for sure that uh, when you reach a certain size and scale, um, just the nature of how businesses need to be run, it becomes less personal, it becomes uh, less ability to do it. So I, I do want to find something that we can still control the culture and control the, the the team that we put together to be able to do that. So I don't know how much that, that helps, but that's the sort of two things that are guiding a lot of my decisions right now. Um, but man, it's fun to be on this side of it. It's fun to be to looking at I do a lot of research what you can't see in this room. There's a whole lot of different mood boards up here as I'll have a, like an idea and I'll print out like 50 pictures about like a, a topic or a business or an industry and put them up and, and start to just like wander around my room.
0: What's the last topic that you did that about?
1: Uh, I think we'll, we'll share, we'll keep all the topics, uh,
0: secret for now. Sounds good. Um, given your view at, you know, fanatics collectibles and, uh, StockX, what are the things that need to happen in the next two, three years? In your opinion, what needs to be built out? What are the trends? What uh, where are still some pains? I'm not saying that fanatics themselves need to build. I'm just at the industry. What does the industry need, you know, to take it to the next level?
1: You know, the last three four years um, has been about everyone in the industry um, getting themselves together, Um, standing companies up, acquiring companies, building teams, building the infrastructure. Um, You know, you you see this as, you know, PSA has gone from having to shut down to be able to, to. you know, uh, they just announced another you know low end uh, twenty two dollar you know grading service rate. Um, they've created the internal processes and efficiencies to be able to scale their business, um, and we're we're seeing this across the board. You know, at the national this year was it was amazing to see how many um, uh, how how big the corporate section was and how many businesses are involved and, and how people have evolved their own businesses. It's time for all of us now to start talking out to mark, market outside of our own walls. And bring new customers in right It's the way it has to work you have to get your own house in in place first before you can start the, the outward you know demand creation bringing people in but that's what has to happen next we all have to be able to to grow the hobby by bringing in more people by making it more accessible and it means not only um outward demand creation and marketing but also means how we work together because you know it's a, a delicate ecosystem that has to work together right Between the Ni collectibles making cards, uh, people who the, the, the distributors, the hobby shops, the people that are grading, you know the marketplaces, the vaulting, you know everything about it. It has to work together. It doesn't mean that one company has to do it all. It doesn't even mean that there needs to be business relationships between them. But you know, take something as simple as what do we call cards? right? Today, you know there's so many parallels, there's so many different um, uh, uh, cards that are made. Um SGC, BGS, and PSA might actually name a, a Prism color parallel three different things because there's no standard metadata because Panini doesn't put out a metadata list that says, hey, this is exactly what everything is called, right? By the way, that should be on a chip in the card that you know every grading company can hit and every vaulting company can hit, and everybody knows exactly what that card is called and where it's printed and everything else. Uh not 20 figures at anyone, right? Maybe Finax collectible solves it, maybe Upper Deck solves it, you know, maybe Leaf solves it, who knows, right?
0: That's a great idea.
1: But like that, like it's these things that that will, one, as we bring more people in, reduce the friction for people to stay in and for people to be able to, to continue to be hobbyists. They can't just come in, look for a quick flip and leave, like we need to, to create
0: long term hobbyists. So any other ideas of, you know, this is a major pain in the industry that somebody needs to solve?
1: Uh, I mean, there's a ton of, of pain points that everyone is is still working on, but um, you know, I, I think one of the big ones right now is fragmentation of of marketplaces and vaults. Um, that'll contract the other way, but right now, I mean, I haven't uh, I haven't dug deep into it, so I'm making no judgment, right? But um, the uh, arena, um, what's it called? Arena something? The Derek Jeter?
0: Yeah, Jeter's Jeter's new business. Yeah, yeah.
1: Right, that's a marketplace and grading company. Do we need another marketplace and grading company? I don't know. Maybe, maybe they become the winner in, in both. Right, but you know, fragmentation is the enemy of um, of growth in a lot of ways because you don't have you know the more liquidity you have in one place, the easier it is to figure out uh, what's a fair price for it. The easier it is um, you know to make sure that everybody is is paying a fair price. And that was the whole premise of StockX having one single product page. Where you have bids and ask all at the same page, which, by the way, we just copied from the stock market, right? We didn't make that up, right? But that's what creates the efficiency by having everyone in one place, every bid and ask in one place. The trading card right now industry is going the exact opposite way by all these marketplaces. By the way, great for buyers looking for deals. If you're trying to, to pick up something, you know there's five different auction houses that are that are going off, right? There's you know all the different marketplaces that are are coming up. So that's great, but it's not good for for growth. It's not good for efficiency. It's not great for for liquidity. So we will see a contraction at some point. No idea how and and, uh, when, whether people consolidate and people buy others or whether people just uh, fade out. Um, But marketplaces, auction houses, and vaults, those three areas um, need to be um, standardized and and
0: more liquidity. That makes a lot of sense. What predictions do you have for what two to three years out looks like for the industry? And when I say the industry, I mean collectibles as a whole. So take it wherever you want.
1: Well, I, I think we're going to see really, really different um, different trajectories for different industries for sure. Um, trading cards, I think in two or three years, we're on the precipice of the next major uh, growth, of the next major spike, right? We'll have a couple of years of now people continuing to build their infrastructure, creating that demand um, creating ways to work together, but none of that stuff will really be in full bloom yet. That just can't be for, for that long. Um, So again, so I, but I do think that we'll be moving in the right direction and we already are such that we'll be on the precipice of the next really great big uh, um, boom. Um, Outside of that, I mean, there's a million places to go with that. I'll bring up one topic we haven't talked about, which is comic books. Um, I am not a, comic book collector i was not a comic book reader as a kid um through some friends i've started to look at the industry a little bit more and pay attention and and um but comic books seem to be undervalued uh same thing with um i'm a big fan of um nintendo and, and wada and uh um, you know i have i don't know if you can see here i have i have uh five what do i have I have five uh games none of them are super expensive or they're not high grades they're just you know super mario 3 punch Out, Zelda kung fu right they're just games i love but i think that's a super interesting thing
0: yeah i uh i played that original kung fu as well
1: right right well I, how old are you I'm, I'm 44
0: 43
1: yeah right so kung fu is massive when you look at that everybody knows the other four games not a lot of people know the kung fu yeah that was amazing um so i think both comic books and uh video games neither of which do i have big positions in, neither of which uh, am I planning to put real money into it just because I have so much money in other places? Um, I think both of those are really interesting. I think they're undervalued. I think that um, because of their place in our culture growing up, I mean, even just the conversation we just had around Kung Fu, both of them and their place as it relates to big IP that still continues to, to grow, um, and the fact that they're both gradable, standardized all the things that that create an actual asset, um, which maybe sneakers don't, as we talked about earlier. So I, I think both of those two um, are um, are ones to watch.
0: And then um, to the listener who's trying to decide: Do I get into collectibles? Do I not get into collectibles? How would you advise them today about potentially investing into collectibles outside of just their passions?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, you got to really do a, a lot of research first to figure out what's going on, which is obvious. Maybe stating the obvious, but um trading cards are really hard for people to get in by the way a- adding to our list of things the trading card industry needs to do better it's um, creating pathways of education for new consumers to come in and understand even just to understand all the different parallels of a, of a set or, or whatever it is um so um yeah um but you know I'll say the best thing you can possibly do no matter what uh part whether collectibles you're interested in is Find a Sherpa. Find an expert of somebody that you can lean on and, and call for questions and go down that path. Um, you know I had that person as I was getting back into trading cards um, who was you know enormously valuable. Um, and look, a lot of this stuff is is about the relationships anyway, um, because all these industries are relatively small in terms of the number of people that are in them that drive the business um, that are in different places. So it's super helpful to be able to know those people and network through it. Which will also help you as you wanna start making bigger purchases or or finding certain rare items in different uh in different parts of it. If you're going down from an investment standpoint, all roads lead to, you know, the the scarce, the valuable, you know, the rare. Um, it doesn't mean that, you know, everybody has to buy the most expensive things, but you know, that's that's where where value is. Um, and so, you know, the more people that you can know and, and network through your industry, you know, the better chance you're gonna have appeal money either. Find it, sell it if you get it, right? If you pull a, you pull a massive card today, what are your options? Like, you just you have to give it to Golden or PWCC or something like that because you don't have a network to be able to sell a high value card.
0: Who was your Sherpa? Uh,
1: Jason Kuntz, uh, who uh, runs um, OTS Sports and now runs ISA Grading. Um, and so uh, he was actually, uh, so he lived in Detroit when I lived in Detroit. I, I now live in Austin. I moved a year ago, but when I was running StockX, I was in Detroit for the past six years. We started looking at trading cards at StockX because we were always just looking for what other products might make sense to put on the site. And as I was networking my way through the trading card industry, it was actually Steve Sloan at PSA, who, you know, it was obvious to go talk to people at PSA. um, And he's like, oh, well, if you're in Detroit, you should know Koontz. He's in your backyard. He's one of our biggest submitters. And so I met um, Jason in probably early 20 or mid 2018. And um, and then he helped me along the way as I got back into it and to understand it and all that. And then we've done a you know, ton of deals together and it's become one of my closest friends.
0: Nice. Um, you know, not everybody has the same information that you do, but everybody would like to try to get exposure to that knowledge. So what is it that you like to watch, read or listen to? Just an example of anything that, you know, can get more into the head of Josh.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, there's, um, there's like a half a dozen decent podcasts in the card industry. Um, you know, I, I think if you like the, the long form, um, and, uh, personal interview, um, uh, style, um, Jeremy Lee's podcast is, is good for that, um, to hear long stories. And he has people on there who will, you know, sit and talk for two or three hours and give, you know, everything about it. Um, the sports Card nonsense show on the ringer, um, is, you know, has its flaws for the, the structure of it and the fact that it's on the ringer, but also, um I think they do a really good job of bringing on uh good guests and and hitting the top points. Um Jeff Wilson's podcast is good. Um the Lucas Tigers uh I forget what they call that thing. Um but uh but Cage and those those guys are good. So there's some of the ones that
0: um that I listen to. Um yeah, great. And then the last question is we ask everybody is what's an investment you would make today that 3 years from now um that you know, you think would be a solid investment. So obviously, you had that Luca hit. You know, what's going to be that next Luca hit that you want to tell the audience today? And we put you on the spot.
1: Well, um, the last time. <laughs> so I'll give you two. Great. All right. Um, and, or and and one is uh, I still think it's a good investment, but I've been talking about it for a while. So uh, a lot of people know that I've been buying the Kim Kardashian two thousand nine upper deck um, autograph. Uh, rookie card and i have a lot of them. i don't know what i'm up to maybe 16 18 something like that 20 but what's happened because of that um because the card's like a i don't know it's maybe about a thousand twelve hundred fifteen hundred fifteen hundred dollar card right now raw um is now if you go on ebay there's all these people that are listing it for like sixty thousand dollars or fifty thousand dollars and so i messaged somebody and w- and said i was like hey i was like you know last comps on this were like two grand I was like, I'll pay over. I'll give you like 2500 for it. And the person writes me back and says, totally. I, I know that where the comps are at, but someone really important in the industry said, this is going to be a really big card, so I can't sell it. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, motherfucker, me. I'm like, I'm the only one buying this card. Nobody else cares about this card except for me. And now I've like run myself up, so I can't buy it. Um, so I still think the first time that Kim Kardashian lo- picks up a card, I was like, oh, look how cool my rookie card and like puts it on our Instagram. Like it just pure supply and demand, right? Like who drives more demand than Kim? So I think, that I still think Kim's a, a buy. Um, and then um, I, I, of the new rookies, I'm really long on Evan Mobley. I, you know, I haven't, I didn't buy any rookies seriously the last two years. Um, I bought a couple of Anthony Edwards. I think everybody's been on the Anthony Edwards bandwagon for the last month. Um, but, uh, but I like Mobley and um, I've been buying a lot of Mobley for the last like two months. And so we'll see how that plays out.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much, Josh. This has been an awesome discussion. We covered a lot of topics. We started out with Milt Wilcox and how that led you to having your Luca run and how that's still paying dividends today. You started with some hustles from $1 to $5 bubblelicious, and being able to, you know, do tech experts. You told us a surprising thing, which sneakers are not a great investment. Yet you did build out StockX and obviously push forward on Fanatic collectibles. And trading cards for culture, I mean, I think that's an easy tagline for you, period. And the fact that you've been pushing that forward for years, you even mentioned the trading card set for rabbis, I'm going to have to hunt that one down. You predicted some trends for the future that need to happen, whether it's metadata standardization, better education for the consumer, or also needing more consolidation. So it's simpler for us to access all these things. You mentioned that you think there's going to be another spike in trading cards in a couple of few years. And that right now we've video games and comic books that are undervalued, which I actually totally agree with as well. And you gave us a very, very unique uh, bid on what will be the surprise three years from now, which is the Kim Kardashian auto and, of course, the Evan Mobley as well. Thank you so much, Josh. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This is fun.
1: Smart Humans with Slava Rubin is a podcast brought to you by the team at Vincent. Any data, text, or other content in this podcast is provided as general market information and not as investment advice. Past performance is not necessarily an indicator of future results. For more information on alternative investing, check out Vincent at www.withvincent.com.